Good morning. Good to see each and every one of you here today. I want to let you know, yeah, last week I had announced we was going to do a Good Friday, but we're actually moving that to Monday Thursday. Uh, Monday Thursday, uh, again, is uh, the fifth day of Holy Week. Actually, it comes from the Latin word, which means command. Uh, but Monday Thursday is a, a morning and solemn, solemn celebration of the events that happened uh, before Jesus went to the cross. Uh, he washed the disciples' feet. He would be betrayed. And it's a reflection of things. And, and, and in a sense, it is morning where we mourn over what happened to Christ, but we'll celebrate because what happened to Christ changed our lives. Amen? So we'll be celebrating that on Thursday at 6 p.m. Look forward to seeing you. And uh, uh, I, I just, you know, again, we want to do Good Friday. But, you know, it, it's kind of cool to, to look at this because a lot happened the night Jesus was betrayed, okay? And see, I'm going to be there this, this, this morning, and as we've been in Revelation and talking about the return of Christ, I want to talk about a few things that happens uh, during this time. And, and I'd called the church uh, last week into a time of fasting and prayer, and I want to ask you to continue to do that because, again, I want to see people saved. I want to see a revival amongst God's people. I want to see lives changed. And I want to see Christians changed and, and be on fire to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And this morning, what I want to do is I want to talk about uh, Jesus Christ come again, but I want to talk about troubled hearts. And, and what I mean by that is this. Uh, a lot of you here today are troubled. Would that be a fair assessment? Okay. Now, I don't know about you, which I've gotten to the point, like I've shared with you before, that I turn off the TV. It, it gets to me. But at the same time, I want to be informed. You know, you want to turn it off, but I need to listen a little bit more. But you, you, you try to be informed of what's going on. And as we continue to watch and we continue to hear, whether it be gas, whether it be the attack on Ukraine, whether it be a nuclear threat, whether it be COVID, whether it be worried of a loved one, whether it be a sickness that's afflicted you, we all have troubled hearts. Would you agree with that? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 14. Now, I want to be in John a few weeks of, a few weeks ago, I was in John on Wednesday nights. And, and I wanted to go back to John this morning as we march toward Easter. And, and we've been talking about the return of Christ. And I want to talk about what we'd call the upper room discourse. And again, uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this when we got into the name it, claim it. And, and I'm not going to get that tonight, but we Looked at, Jesus in the upper room, okay, is talking to the disciples. Now, Jesus, it begins in chapter 13, and Jesus will wash the disciples' feet this night. Even the one that betrayed him. Even the one that betrayed him. And he would share supper with these men, Passover. And Peter would learn the rock that he would deny Christ three times. And as Jesus is sitting up here talking to the disciples, you can't imagine what must be going through these people's heads. The man that they've been with for three and a half years has just shared all this with him, with them, and they're leaving, and he's leaving. They're confused. They're afraid. Now, I want to talk about John for a few moments because I want you to understand where John is coming from. Okay, as John, we talk about the fourth gospel, 
In the Bible, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? Now, John's different than any other of the Gospels, okay? You have the, the first three will talk about Jesus being son of, son of man. You'll talk about his servitude. You'll talk about Jesus being king. John focuses on Jesus Christ being the son of God. And what happens during this? Well, how do we know John wrote the book? Well, this is where it's cold, people. How many of you like to read? Yeah. They make podcasts. They make earphones and all kind of good things. But listen, you see, John, we know, we believe that he wrote this book for, for, for a couple reasons. One, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And it's very important to know that there was an inner circle of disciples, Peter, James, and John, which James couldn't have wrote it because according to the timeline, you see, this is beautiful. This is where it gets great. This is where I love you to read, first and foremost, the Word of God. But read church history. You see, John had a disciple by the name of Polycarp. Okay? Polycarp, remember, we went through the seven churches of Asia Minor, was the bishop of Smyrna. He was a disciple of John, who Polycarp told Irenaeus, John wrote the book. Well, that's proof right there. John wrote it. You see, when we're saved, we disciple other people who disciple other people. That's how the Word of God grows. But it's so beautiful that you hear, wow, John had a disciple, or a, 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 he discipled Polycarp, who shared with somebody else that John actually wrote this book when he was ministering to the church of Ephesus. This is so cool. So if he was ministering to the church of Ephesus, which would have been about 65 to 85 A.D., James couldn't have wrote it because James was martyred before then. Ain't the Bible cool? There's so much we can learn if we just read the Word of God. But John writes this book, and I share with people this. Now, John, when he begins it, he don't start with the, the birth of Christ. He takes Jesus back to in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. You see, he shows that Jesus is the part of the Trinity. He is the Son of God. He is God. And Jesus has always been and will always be. Is that not beautiful? John recorded the miracle at Cana where Jesus turned the water into wine. You will not find any parables in the book of John. And see, a lot of these things that we just, we learn, I pray that you get your nose in God's Word. That's always been my purpose, to get you in God's Word. And Jesus now will be in the upper room with these disciples, and they're celebrating Passover. And John records this, and if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 14. Again, this is the upper room discourse. Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? And if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. You know the way where I am going? Lord Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to me or comes to the Father except through me. Now I want you to think about this for a few moments as these men are troubled. 
And how as he is speaking to the disciples in this, right before he is about to be crucified, can we make this applicable to us? And I'm going to tell you how. If you go back to the first verse, he said, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me. Now there's two beliefs here that I want to focus on this morning. Most people believe there's a God. C.S. Lewis, I believe it said, it's not that I see the sun that I believe there's a God, but I see everything that the sun reveals that shows me there's a God. A lot of people have faith in God. And they believe that God has made this earth. But that's not a saving faith. Now go with me here. James 2 tells me, For devils also believe, and they tremble. Satan knows who Christ is too. He believes in God. As a matter of fact, the book of Job tells me that Satan went before God. There's nothing that Satan can do without God's permission. Satan and the demons believe. So when we say you believe in God, you do good. But it's not a saving faith. He says believe in me. You believe in God, believe in me. Because what John does here, and bear with me, I'm going to go show you about the saving faith. You see, Jesus is telling him, I am God. You will see John use a phrase quite often through his text called, I am. Jesus will say, I believe in John 8, before Abraham was, I am. He will say in this text, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. I want you to think about this for a few moments. As Jesus is sharing this with the disciples, after spending three and a half years with them, he says, you believe in God, believe in me. Believe in what? Believe in everything that I have told you because my promises are true. That's how it's applicable to us. Because he gave us a promise. You see, the very promise that Jesus Christ gave the disciples, he gave to all of us who believe. You see, he also said that he would never leave us or forsake us. That's applicable to every one of us. He said that he alone saves. That's applicable to all of us. You see, let me put it to you this way. A lot of times we have problems in our lives as Christians is because we have a problem believing Jesus is who he says he is. How many times do we go through valleys and we struggle and we go through situations where we say, well, we believe the promises in God, but we don't live like we believe the promises of God. Do you hear me? We doubt it. How many times have you gone through a situation or gone through a struggle in your life where you believe what Jesus has says, but yet your life don't reflect that you have faith in it. If you believe that God has created all things, you have to believe that His Son Jesus can save people. If He is God, 
And he is the son of God. And he is the only way. And he said he would never leave you or forsake you. How can you not believe? Let me put it to you this way. A lot of us get too earthly minded to look toward home. We get too earthly minded to look toward home. Let me put it to you another way. In this world that we live in, we see sickness, we see death, we see hurt, we see betrayal, just like Jesus saw. But he said, I would never leave you or forsake you. Let me tell you a story. Every one of these disciples here, except for John, would die a martyr's death. And if these men can go to death's door celebrating the name of Jesus, what can we go through? Do you see it? You see, John would be cast on the Isle of Patmos. He'd be boiled in oil according to tradition. How many of you have been boiled in oil? I've fried some chicken, but I've never fried myself. Cast upon an island to die, and heaven opens up. And the same Jesus, he sat and he heard these words of encouragement. He wrote down for all of us. Now, I want you to go with me for a few moments. Okay? Now, go with me. According to church history, Judas would go out and kill himself. But the rest of the disciples, according to church history, would be martyred. You see, a man that took Judas's place was a man named Matthias. You'll find this in the book of Acts. Matthias took Judas's place. Matthias was martyred too. What sustains men in their time of death? What sustains you who have faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the promise of Jesus? That's what sustains you. That the same Jesus that held these men up in the face of death can hold you up no matter what trial you possess. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Look what he says. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you? Jesus is true. He's not lying to you. You think he'd say something flippantly? He is telling these men, you live in an earthly kingdom that will be trouble. Jesus told them, in this earth you will have trouble, but I'll give you my peace. I can tell you right now, I'm reconstructing my bathroom because it failed. But I praise God that my home in heaven is built by hands that are undefiled and nothing can make it fade away. It was built for you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Are you worried today? You see, it's very interesting to me that after this discourse, if you will, they didn't get it. Peter would deny him. The Bible records that the only person that was there, the disciples at the cross, was John. Where were they? Let me tell you something. They had their moments of failure. But that same Jesus that redeemed their soul, sustained them in life, that you know what? They wasn't scared anymore, and they give their life for Christ. Do you believe his promises? Do you? You said, in my Father's house are many mansions. He says, if I go, I'm going to prepare a place for you. 
that we're going to dwell in a place because of the blood of Jesus Christ in a home built by the master builder. You know, I often think of heaven. You see, a lot of people have wrote a lot of things about heaven. Some people have claimed that they've been there. I won't get into that this morning, but I'll tell you this. The Bible tells me enough about heaven to know that I want to dwell there and not because of what I'm going to have, but because of who's going to be there, and that's Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is there. And remember that when we leave this earth, we'll be in his presence if we're Christ. If I go away, I will prepare a place for you. I will come again and take you to myself, for where I am there you may be also. He said, I will come again, the title. When's he coming? When's he coming, Chad? He gave a promise. You know, nobody knows. But I know just a little bit about what Jesus said in the Olivier Discourse, that before he comes back, there's going to be ruthless liars. There's going to be men who said, I am the Christ, I am the way whether it be Jim Jones or some other idiot that has misled people. Jesus said, they're coming. There'll be people who claim to be me. Careful who you read. Careful who you follow. There'll be ruthless liars. There'll be ruthless calamities. There'll be trials and tribulations. There'll be earthquakes. There will be famine. There will be hurt. There will be trouble. But there will also be ruthless evangelism. Because there will be those that have spread the good news of Jesus Christ. The world may know that he is king. Did you know that they still 7,000 unreached people groups in the world? Can you believe that? Even with Google? Well, that was the last figure four years ago. But I'm going to tell you something. I want to tell you about this real quick that you may not believe. Chad, there's no way. I'll give you one example. There's a place off the coast of India called Sentinel Island. You ever heard of this place? It has been virtually untouched. And a group of people live there, they don't know how many, that have never had any influence or been influenced by anybody in the outside world. As a matter of fact, one missionary tried to go to him a few years ago and they speared him. And they left him on the beach. There have been scenes of helicopters flying over and they throwing spears at the helicopter. This is a big place, people. And there's people that need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. There's going to be ruthless liars, ruthless calamities. There's going to be ruthless evangelism. How about you? Do you want to share the good news? Because here's the thing. Let me tell you where I'm going with this. There's a lot of troubled hearts out there that don't know Christ, and their hearts are really troubled. As born-again believers, we will face problems. We will face death. But let not your heart be troubled, because he that promised is faithful, if you're in him. 
But there's people out there that do not know. Do you realize that these 12 men, that when Jesus was resurrected and 40 days later he would ascend, the disciples are standing there doing this. And they're told, why do you look up? Because in the same way he took up, he will return. He's coming back. He promised he would. And let me tell you something. These 12 men, due to persecution, would turn the world upside down. You know what spread the early church? Persecution. Read the book of Acts. It wasn't times of peace and calmness. Read the book of Acts, how Stephen was stoned. How they were persecuted and hated because of Jesus' name. And they pressed forward. They didn't have telephone, telegraph, or tell your neighbor who's going to tell everybody. They didn't have a Honda, a Subaru, or even a bicycle. They had worn out sandals and they turned the world upside down. Men who loved Christ, who Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. You see, I honestly believe that the good Lord gives us peace. And he will sustain us. And he will protect us. And I pray that if you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you have a fire. How will they know if they do not hear? He said, I go to prepare a place for you, and I will come again and take you unto myself. For where I am, there you may be also. But then here goes Thomas. You know the way where I'm going. And he says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? See, they just needed a little jolt to get their attention back. Of course they knew the way. Jesus had been with them for three and a half years. Surely they heard. Surely they knew. But he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So I want to break this down for you on how not your hearts can be troubled. Number one, Jesus said, I am the way. You see, early church, in the early church, they were known as the way. They were the way. They were followers of the way. Jesus is the only way. People will say that all roads lead to God. No, they do not. If he is the way and the truth and the life, there's only one road to Jesus. There is, that is through faith in him. There is only one way to God, and that is through Jesus. There is no other way. None. You see, there's a lot of religions out there. And see, what we call about religion, I used to, there used to be this shirt that I wanted that says, Ask me why I hate religion. That got some of your attention right now. But let me clarify what religion is. Religion is man searching for God. Christianity is God searching for man. You can't miss that. And I'm going to tell you why. He says, I am the truth. What is truth? 
The confirmation of reality. Conforming to reality by facts. You see, Pilate would ask Jesus, what is truth? You see, he missed it. You see, there are two absolute claims to the truth cannot both be true. That's the law of non-contradiction. Jesus says, I am the truth. If it is not me, it is not true. And I want you to think about this for a few moments. So truth in theology would be this. Anything that conforms to the will and the work of God is truth. Conforming to the will and work of God is truth. If it's contrary to God's character, it's a lie. God wants me to be happy as a byproduct and not a prime product. Because you can still find joy in misery. Amen? Let me explain this to you. This will help. I've heard that some people, even amongst our families, have been diagnosed with cancer. I've heard that some people are going through a lot of illnesses and having to go to the doctor. That's amongst you. Many of you or some of you in this church have lost loved ones. How can I find joy in such? I'll tell you how. Knowing that the only way is through comfort and peace given by Christ. That's the only way. You see, I look at it from this perspective. If Jesus is the only way to have reconciliation with the Father, okay, and I've been saved by God's grace, and I've been saved from my faith and trust in Jesus, there's one thing for certain that's going to happen in my life. I'm going to die. And you are too. Death is a reality of life. Would you agree with that? But here's how I find joy. I don't have to cross those rivers alone. Because he walks with us through it. If he is the way, the truth, and the life, then where I am, there you may be, that if I am him, one day when I die, there's where I'll be. And we live like this. I got joy in the Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise God. There's so many people, even in here today, that are so concerned about the valley you're in, you don't look at the mountain that's right before you that you're about to climb. And that's the truth. You live miserably. Whether it be a home life, whether it be sickness, whether it be... Look, James said, consider it a joy when you go through trials and tribulations. He didn't say, praise God, I got cancer. Praise God, I'm going to die tomorrow. What he is saying is this. Joy is found in Jesus Christ who walks with you through these trials. That's where joy is found. You know, a lot of times, and I, I want to read something to you that I think we miss. I think we miss completely. One of my favorite songs. Listen. Joy still comes in the morning. Hope still walks with the hurting. If you're still alive and breathing, praise the Lord. 
Don't stop dancing and dreaming. There's still good news worth repeating. So lift your head and keep singing. Praise the Lord. There's so many people I call and every time I talk to them, everything's so bad and negative. Woe is me. Woe is me. You don't know how bad my life is. We're barely making it here. Let me tell you something. If you're alive and breathing in Jesus Christ, have joy. Because the suffering's only temporary. These men give their lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they were troubled. But Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. You have me, you have the Father, and I will walk with you. How many, look, it, it reminds me of Jesus when he goes before the cross. Think about this. There's a lot of people that will die for something, but not many people will die for nothing. Okay? When Jesus is in the, in the garden, he's praying. He is afraid. And people say, well, he's afraid of the cross. Don't you ever hear a person say that and listen to it. Jesus was not afraid of some cross. There are people that have gone to the cross joyfully singing accepting the willful destruction of their body because they know they'll be with him. There are people being beheaded today, people, for their faith in Jesus Christ. And they're going out smiling. Jesus wasn't afraid of the cross. He was afraid of the wrath of God. And we miss that. Because God's wrath was poured upon him so that this, these men in your hearts wouldn't have to be troubled. You ever thought about that? He took the wrath of God that our hearts wouldn't have to be troubled. The penalty that was due every single one of us was poured on his son. He prayed that the cup passed from him. What was in the cup? The wrath of God. But he drank it willfully that our hearts would not be troubled. He is the way. And he is the truth. As he told the woman at the well, there's a day coming when we will, have, we will worship in spirit and truth. Truth is conforming to the will and the work and person of God. That's truth. And if it's contradictory to the character and the person of God, it's not truth. And he says, I am the life. Let me tell you something. If you are born again believer in Jesus Christ, Christ did not make you a bad man good. He made a dead man live. You were dead in your trespasses. I have often said this, and you said, well, Chad, how is it God searching for man? I'll tell you this, and you've heard me say it the past few weeks. You didn't see Lazarus calling out to Jesus, did you? Jesus called out to Lazarus. A Lazarus come forth. Jesus brings dead men to life. He don't make bad men good. He makes dead men live. That is Christ. I am the way. There's no road but mine. I am the truth. There is no other truth found in me. If it's contrary to me, it is not truth. And I am the life. I make dead men live. So how are our hearts troubled? You see, 
Each one of us are going through things in our lives. And I'm not saying we're not to be sad. Chad, you telling me I just need to suck it up at all times? I will tell you this. And this is a correct application of the verse. You can do all things in Christ who strengthens you. For Paul would say, I have been content to have and have not. I know what it's like to be hungry. I know what it's like to be fed. I know what it's like to have a little. I know what it's like to be have, a, have a lot. And I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. He's not saying that you can go off and jump off Mount Everest with one parachute and one arm flapping. He's not saying you're going to step in the ring with a heavyweight champion of the world and win. But what he is teaching you in context in that verse is this. You can be content knowing Christ has got it. And if he can walk with these disciples in the face of death and other people that are walking to face death today, he can walk with you. Let not your hearts be troubled. You see, this verse really spoke to me as we look to Jesus' return. How would Jesus find us if he returned now? You know, that's something we need to ask ourselves. So I got to thinking about this. And I want to share it with you this morning. If Jesus, the Bible says, the time and hour is unknown, if he came back, what would he find you doing? Watching something you shouldn't watch? I never will forget, you know, I'll share this story. This is the reality of death, people. I found a man dead at work one day. I was asked to go and check on somebody, and I found him dead. You've never had that experience as quiet. I've done that several times. And I still can't get out of my head the things that were laying around his bed and the things that I saw in his house. Now, let me just put it to you this way. There's things that would bring shame to any of us. But the last thing I remember in my head is what I saw. You hear me where I'm going with this?
100% total dependence on you on all things. And I have a tendency, like everybody else, to carry burdens myself. But Lord, what I do know is I can cast every care upon you. God, I pray for strength when that day comes to be my great gift of morning. Because God, I honestly believe if you give men the strength and peace to face calamity and face death and face it with a joyful heart, then Lord, there's nothing that you can't do. Lord, you can move us all. Lord, you can conquer fear. You can sustain us in the midst of any storm. And Lord, when we cross the cool waters of death, you said you would walk with us through it. God, may it, it be a total, complete reminder that our walk on this earth as born-again believers have got to be on total dependence on you. God, I pray today that no matter what burden may be on somebody's heart, that like the old song says, burdens are lifted at Calvary. God, I pray today if there's one that does not know you, that you convict their heart first and foremost, above all of the prayers, Lord, that you convict those that do not know you and draw them to you for it's eternally too late. God, there is no greater word your Son, Jesus Christ. God, I pray today for the Christian that's struggling not only with burdens, maybe struggling with their prayer life, maybe struggling with their time in the Word. God, I pray that they pray you for a passion for the Word, a passion for prayer. Lord, they pray to you for wisdom, and God, you will give it. God, I pray for this church. I pray that we would be a life to the community. Lord, I pray before Easter that whoever shows up here, Lord, was who you wanted here. And that, Lord, we would love them and welcome them and share the gospel with them. Lord, I know without a shadow of a doubt that no human being can have an impact with Jesus Christ, your son, and not be changed. God, I'm praying to change lives. Those lives that have been changed, Lord, and the Christians that carry the burdens that they get removed. That, Lord, there's no saving power in any of this rock, by no means or anything other than it's a constant reminder that 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 laid me down, I 